It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Alexis, I'm a little wired right now. I might pop out of my seat like a little popple. We just recorded on Red Bull, and we both drank a Red Bull, and we're kind of shaky. And I'm not going to lie, I also had the GSD this morning, and okay, I had three sips of that. Alexis. I know, I got to stop, got to stop. Okay. You scare me. So we apologize in advance. If we're talking like a million miles an hour, I will keep it calm because I'm so pumped about this episode. Okay? I'm excited. Okay. If I were to ask you, Alexis, what is the most memorable advertising tagline you can think of, what would it be? Oh, my God. I don't know. The most. I mean, I would In the world. Just do it? Yes! Really? Yes. That's it. That is the most memorable advertising tagline in the world. Those three words are the most iconic words in advertising. I I didn't even know you were doing that. I know. That's the joy of this whole podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a surprise. But it's true. And that being the first thing that you think of just proves my point. You're in advertising and that's what you think of. And people think that too. I mean, you hear those words and you immediately see the swoosh and you think Nike. It appears on bags, billboards, t-shirts, coffee mugs. So it feels like that slogan must have been a part of the brand since Nike's inception, right? Yeah, I mean, hasn't it? No, the truth is it hasn't. It actually was created in 1987 by Nike's agency partner, Wyden and Kennedy. In 87? Yes, in 87. And I'll tell you- how and why and the whole scoop. So those three words were actually created by Dan Wyden himself. Okay. So the, one of the owners of the agency. And do you know anything about how Just Do It came to be? Like, no. Have you ever heard the story? No. Okay. I somehow hadn't either. So maybe we're like the only two people who Well, just- the crazy thing is i am always been like a soccer player. So I've been gravitated to Adidas. So I know a lot about Adidas. But my kids like Nike fiends and they are so crazy. Like there's no Nike and Adidas. It's like they got to have the swoosh and the Nike. I mean, this morning it was a whole debacle. Yeah. But they know more about Nike now because I think Nike has infiltrated all these other markets. And I don't know if they were in the beginning, but I feel like when I was growing up in the soccer market, particularly, I wasn't that into Nike. Interesting. Well, by 1987, when Just Do It was coined, Nike had already been around for almost 25 years. Wow. The company actually was originally founded in 64, and it was first called Blue Ribbon Sports. And it was founded by these two guys, Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight. Okay. So in 71, the two guys changed the company's name to Nike, and it was after the Greek goddess of victory. That's like the Nike. Yeah. So Phil was actually a University of Oregon track athlete, and Bill was his coach. So that's how they met. And when the company was first started, they actually acted as a distributor for Japanese shoemaker Onitsuka Tiger. 
And they sold most of their shoes at track meets outside, like outside of the meet in Phil's trunk. Oh my gosh. And that's probably why, I mean, the Ducks and like any team in Oregon, their uniforms and their outfits are legit. Mm-hmm. Well, Blue Ribbon Sports sold 1,300 pairs of shoes its first year in business, totaling like 8,000 bucks in revenue. Wow. Slowly, sales increased, and the men expanded to other markets, and they even opened a retail store in Santa Monica. Interesting. Yeah. But in 1971, their relationship with Onitsuka Tiger came to an end, and the guys saw, like, this opportunity to create their own line of shoes, like, not just to be a distributor for someone else, right? And that's when they decided they would rebrand their own shoe under Nike. So to accompany the new name, Nike, a graphic design student at Portland State University named Carolyn Davidson, she actually is the one who created the iconic swoosh. Hope she got paid for that. Let me tell you how she got paid for that. Carolyn's story is kind of cool. Phil Knight was teaching an accounting class at the university, and he overheard Carolyn say that she couldn't afford to buy these, like, oil painting supplies that she really wanted. So Phil was like, hmm, okay, I see where this could go. And he was like, hey, Carolyn, do you want a job in creating charts and graphs for some of these meetings we have with these Japanese footwear execs? Because this is still when they were a distributor, right? Okay, yeah. But they were becoming Nike. She was like, okay, like what else am I doing? You yeah, know? I'll and create some graphs and yeah, charts. Yeah, yeah. And soon she was not just creating those graphs and charts. She was designing ads, flyers, posters, you know, and other things for the brand. Then when the company decided, okay, they were going to rebrand officially as Nike— They had Carolyn, they wanted to see what she could do. And they were like, can you please design a logo that has something to do with movement? That was the direction they gave her. That's it. Wow. So she gave them five different options. And they hated four of them. Hated four of them. One of the options was the Nike swoosh. And this is what it looked like originally, Alexis. Can you describe it? It's... The Nike swoosh with the word Nike over it. It looks a little busy because you can't, like, the swoosh isn't as prominent, but it's the original logo. Yep. And that's how Nike was born. Interestingly, Phil didn't just hate the first four designs. He also didn't really love the swoosh at first. But he was like, okay, well, this is what we got. Like, he actually said, I don't love it, but I think it'll grow on me. And can you guess how much he paid her for that creation in 1971? 100 bucks. $35. Oh, poor Carolyn. That would equal $236 today. So like way undervalued, right? Crazy. But she kept working for the company, handling all its graphic design needs until they really outgrew her in 1976. I mean, at that point, they were becoming this ginormous brand and they needed like a full design team and agencies and all, all the things. So at that point, Phil and Bill hired their first agency partner, and it was John Brown and Partners, and then Carolyn went on to, like, work with other clients. Okay. But before you feel, like, really sad for I'm Carolyn. I'm getting, like, really I know. emotional about I'm like, her. can we hire her? I know, Carolyn, um, are you out there? In 1983, a great year, if I do say so myself. Oh, God. <laughs> just about three years after Nike went public, Phil invited Carolyn to a company reception. There— He presented her with chocolate swooshes, a diamond ring made of gold and engraved with her iconic swoosh, and an envelope filled with 500 shares of Nike stock, and those were estimated to be worth a million bucks in 2015. 
Oh, so see, like they're good people. That was pretty amazing of him because he knows. I mean, she created this mark that is the brand today that stands without the words. Like the swoosh today doesn't have Nike anywhere on it. It's just the swoosh. The swoosh. I mean, that was so iconic and crazy, you know? So, like I said, in 1995, Nike actually removed the word Nike from its logo, and now the swoosh stands alone. Stands alone. And it's, like, so powerful. It is so powerful. So, when Nike hired its first agency, John Brown and Partners, and I actually could find nothing on them. So, I don't know who they were, who they are, if they're still around, who John Brown is, but they created their very first brand ad campaign, and it was the There Is No Finish Line campaign. And this is the ad, Alexis, and it was a huge success. Oh, cool. Do you see that? Yeah. It's like a country road, basically, mm-hmm. just looking like it goes for miles. Yep. And there's like a, just a lone guy running. Oh, I can't see the guy. Running on the road. I know it's kind of a small ad, but I'll make sure I post it. Now we're going to move into the 80s, Okay. Okay. By this time, Nike had moved on to another agency, the William Kane Advertising Agency. And there happened to be two guys working there at this time, Dan Wyden and David Kennedy. And they both happened to work on the Nike account, which at that time was just like a little regional sneaker company, okay, before they were really that huge. While the dynamic creative duo worked on the account, it became clear that the little sneaker brand was pretty unhappy with, like, the agency-client relationship. And we know how that can be. Like, yeah. sometimes just it's a vibe. And, like, you can just, you know, we've worked at agencies where we're like, ugh, could we treat the client better? That's why we started our own company. Exactly. You know? So at that point, Dan and David decided they could do better on their own. Sound familiar? Like us. Just like us. They each invested 500 bucks to open up their own shop in 1987, and they left William Kane to start their own agency with one single client. Nike. Nike. The pair named their agency Wyden and Kennedy, and while a few other agencies have come up to, like, battle with Wyden and Kennedy over the years for, like, the Nike account, they've still continued to work on the lion's share of the account. I mean— Nike has, of course, brought in a few other partners to, like, just make sure, you know. Yeah. But they well, still— diversify a little bit. Yeah. More ideas or more brains, the better. Totally. So in one of the duo's first meetings with Phil Knight of Nike, after they started Wyden and Kennedy, he told them something that would forever impact how they looked at the advertising for Nike. He said, I hate advertising. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Go mm-hmm. to influencers. <laughs> well, they, they, they weren't really influencers. I mean, yeah. kind of, but they weren't like the same as they are today. Yeah. So what they soon found out was that Phil did just, it wasn't that he like hated advertising. He just didn't want anything that looked like, sounded like, or felt like straight advertising. He wanted purpose. Yeah. Behind the brand. He wanted an honest, powerful relationship that pretty much broke all the rules of advertising that were traditional. Awesome. Yeah. So in 1987 and 88, Nike was ready for its first major television campaign. And this was like the first project that Wyden and Kennedy was tasked with. Wow. For them. So the team got together and they were like, we have to knock their socks off. We just like started our own agency. This is our first client. Like we have to do a just amazing job. So they came up with five totally different television spots. 
Okay. No connection at all. Five different teams at the agency, five different spots. These spots showed things like athletes running, walking, cross-training, like playing basketball. And there was even one specific ad that celebrated women's fitness. Okay. All great ads, but no connection, right? So Dan sat back that night and watched them all. And it was the night before like the big client presentation. He was like, they're really good, but something is missing. Like something to tie all of these spots together. Some like theme or or tagline or something. And he was just like racking his brain by himself. Like I imagine he's eating a TV dinner, like in (laughs) front of like a little box TV, you know, like, I don't know. Making that up, but just go with it. Okay, I'm going with it. (laughs) It was the 80s. Drinking a beer. It was the 80s, yeah. yeah. He said he was envisioning a tagline, something that would tie these together, but that would speak to both the most hardcore of competitive athletes, but also the everyday person who's just like going for a walk to get active and get moving. So he pondered, and something really weird came to him, like some recollection or memory of something he had seen or read or heard. Are you ready for the weirdest thing you've heard in a while? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Have you heard of a guy named Gary Gilmore? No. Okay. Well, that's probably a good thing because, like, he's totally a creeptastic, disgusting human being. Okay. Gross. He actually was a murderer. Oh. He gained notoriety in the late 70s after he was caught for two murders that he confessed to, and he demanded to be executed. That's why he gained so much publicity and notoriety. He wanted the death penalty. Oh my God, this is freaking me out where it's going to come from. So apparently there had been statutes in the early 70s that resulted in the death penalty being deemed cruel and unusual punishment and unconstitutional. And not like a huge history buff, like I I like it, but I don't remember all this stuff. I'm assuming that's why today we have like some states where it's allowed and some states where it's not because of this that happened in the 70s. So the Supreme Court had previously ordered all the states change death sentences to be life imprisonment instead. So, you know, this dude, Gary Gilmore, ended up being the first person in almost 10 years to be executed in the U.S. Oh, my God. Do you want to know how he was executed? No. Like, do you have any guesses? Someone killed him in prison? No, like, yeah, but it was he, he got the death penalty. Like, he was going to be killed. So how did they kill him? Oh, I don't want to know. By a firing squad. They shot him? They, like a lot of people shot at him. Oh, interesting. I had no idea that was like still I a thing. thing in the late 70s. Like I would think like, yeah, in the early 1900s. Wow. Crazy, right? I mean, weren't you alive in the 70s? Pick, <laughs> shut up. How do you pick that? Or it's just picked for you? I don't know. I didn't go that far. <laughs> but I would argue that he totally deserved it because. In 1976, in Utah, he murdered two random people on two different days, one day after the other. So the first person he killed was this amazing guy. He was a college student named Max Jensen, and he was working at a gas station in Orem, Utah. He just robbed him and killed him. The next night, he killed Benny Bushnell, another college student, who was a motel manager in Provo, Utah. They were both BYU students. And so he robbed both men, and even though the men complied, they gave him the stuff, they followed his orders, he made him lay on the ground, and he just shot him in the head. Okay? Total douchebag. So this guy's cousin turned him into the police because the cousin was like, yeah, you're a disgusting human, and I know you did this. Okay, so that's how he was caught. So on January 17th in 1977, he was about to be executed, and the guards asked him, 
for any last words. And he looked at them and he simply said, let's do it. So let's go back to that little night before the big presentation. And Dan Wyden was sitting there thinking about what could possibly be this tagline that could bring all of these different commercials together with one common theme. And he remembered, let's do it. And he turned it into just do it. Literally, the most iconic tagline in advertising history was inspired by a disgusting murderer. Oh my gosh, that's creepy. Would you ever have guessed that? No. I thought it was going to be like his dad yelling at him like, just do it already. Go do this. Like something a little more normal? Yeah. (laughs) Not by like a firing squad. (gasps) I know. So my mind was so blown. I mean, I highly doubt that having that story tied with such a notable tagline is something that the people at Nike like love to talk about, but it's the truth. But they love the just do it. They love just do it. They just hate that connection. Don't tell the story. Yeah. Actually, I was watching a documentary, which I'll talk about, and one of the women who was the head of marketing for Nike for some period of time said like she didn't even know that story when she was hired. Like they didn't even tell her that. Like they really just kept it kind of under wraps. But- Dan brought the tagline to his team the next morning, like right before the presentation, and his team questioned him. They didn't think the ads needed a tagline or a common theme tying them together, but Dan was insistent. So they presented to Nike later that day. And the Nike team actually had the same reaction that Dan's team did. They were like, these are all really good ads. Like, we don't think we need the tagline. But Dan was like, you guys, I do think it's necessary. They are all way too different, and they don't add up to anything without this common tagline. So they trusted Dan. And thank goodness God, they, they trusted, trusted him, Dan. right? I mean, what happened next is pretty insanely cool. Immediately, when these ads started running, Nike started getting letters and phone calls, and so did the agency. Everyone loved Just Do It. They connected with it. It made them feel something. It wasn't about athleticism or shoes, it resonated with like the most extreme of dedicated athletes just as much as it did with people who had no connection with sports. It became a motivational phrase, like a way to live. And Nike, and of course their agency, saw this and they paid attention to it. So they brought that into, that theme, into its next round of advertising, targeted specifically to women, and aimed at tying a commitment to sports to female empowerment. Interesting. Yeah, so they created this TV commercial a few years later in 1995. If you let me play. If you let me play sports. I will like myself more. I'll have more self-confidence. If you let me play sports. If you let me play. If you, if you let, let me, me play. I'll be 60% less likely to get breast cancer. I will suffer less depression. If you let me play sports. I will be more likely to leave a man if you let me play, I'll be less likely to get pregnant before I want to. I will learn. I will learn what it means to be strong. To be strong. If you let me play. Play sports. If you let me play sports. That's so cute. Isn't it a great commercial? It's awesome. It was called If You Let Me Play, and it showed all these young girls looking straight into the camera and saying those, those powerful words, like, if you let me play. And then it ends, of course, with the swoosh. And the words, just do it, on the screen, it's powerful. Super powerful. I mean, it feels way bigger than a brand, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like a movement. It feels like an invitation to join in on something big. And it makes it feel simple. Or maybe not simple. It makes it feel possible. Yeah. Possible. This made the definition of who an athlete was 
so much broader. It wasn't just pro athletes. It was everyone. Everyone could be an athlete. Nike wanted to inspire people to participate in sports, and Just Do It was perfect for that. And what Just Do It became to people, like I said, it was so much more than sports. In that documentary I mentioned, it's called Art and Copy, and I actually want to do on our next Serendipit Movie Day. I want us all to watch it. Okay. It's all about the most insane advertising campaigns in history and, like, the most iconic ones and the creation. And all of your airline advertising things were in there, too. Oh, cool. It's really good. It's on Amazon Prime for anyone who wants to watch it. It's all about advertising and inspiration, like I said. And one of the former heads of marketing for Nike said that people were calling Nike and writing letters like talking about all the ways that Just Do It inspired them. Women were leaving abusive marriages. They were getting divorces because of Just Do It. People were jumping into like crazy new careers, taking risks, like just doing things they never imagined they could do. One kid was inspired to ask a girl to prom because of Just Do It. I mean, it was really cool. You know, whenever there's like a cool side of things— There's always a couple things that maybe don't resonate as well. Of course. So there were a few Just Do It ads throughout the years that people didn't love as much, and they created a little controversy. Check out this one featuring Charles Barkley. I am not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I am paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Was that Whiting and Kennedy too? It was, but it wasn't their idea. So do you want to describe that ad real quick, like what you saw? Yeah, I mean, it's Charles Barkley just like rocking it on the basketball court, dunking, but he like— comes up close and says, I'm not a role model. Mm-hmm. I'm not paid to be a role model. Parents. Parents should be role models. And it's like, the whole time you're seeing it, you're like, you're Charles Barkley. People, like, dream of being you. Why are you not a role model? Like, yeah. How contradictory. Yeah, it's interesting. And so, actually, Charles Barkley claims that this idea was 100% his. He said in so many interviews that he went to Nike with the idea, not the other way around, because he believed that as a society— we needed to do better and not, like, idolizing celebs or athletes. And, like, he felt like that was always being put on them. And this— But, like, that was not conveyed in there. That was, like, too harsh. Yeah, I agree. It's a weird—it didn't connect with Nike for me. No. Like, at the end, it had the Nike swoosh, and it said, just do it. But, like, there was a weird— There's just a miss. And I think that's so interesting because they're, like— the underlying purpose was not clearly communicated in that. Like, if he's saying that parents need to do a better job and, like, not idolizing just athletes, then it should have been something like that should have been connected. Like, maybe a parent moment there. Like, yeah. it was, like, really intense, It too. was, and it divided people. Like, many people didn't like it, although some did. But if anything else, like, it was really thought-provoking. And it just made people, like, kind of question things. But it, to me— There was no really strong connection to the Nike brand. No. You know, besides like that they endorse or athletes are, you know, part of their team. But actually what's interesting is it wouldn't make me think badly of Nike. It would make me think badly of Charles Barkley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So then in 2018, to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign, 
Nike picked Colin Kaepernick as the face of its newest campaign. Oh, I remember that one. And here's a short clip from ABC's Nightlight News that kind of breaks down the controversy. If people say your dreams are crazy. It's a bold move for a familiar brand. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. The latest version of Nike's signature Just Do It commercial, making his television debut during last night's NFL season opener. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. The multimedia campaign beginning earlier this week with the announcement of Colin Kaepernick as the new face of Nike. In the history of sports, no campaign, no ad campaign is bigger than Just Do It. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, and for them to pick Colin Kaepernick, a guy who is not playing right now, but has a huge social footprint, is something that we haven't seen before in sports. The choice of Kaepernick and the simple slogan, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, immediately reigniting the long simmering controversy over NFL players' First Amendment rights, creating a literal firestorm of outrage, fans burning their Nike gear in protest. Sorry, Nike. I've been buying you for the past 20 plus years. Not anymore. What do you think of that commercial? So, I mean, I believe really strongly about this because I remember getting fired up when this commercial came out. I totally believe in like the slogan, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. However, I just have like a very strong feeling against people taking a knee because I feel like they're disrespecting the flag and the troops and all the men and women that have fought for our country. Like take a stand against anything else. Like I get if you're pissed off at what's going on, but it feels like a personal attack on the people who fought for us. And Mm -hmm. it, it pisses me off, honestly. I understand your perspective. But Nike stood by the message. Phil Knight was quoted talking to Fast Company saying, it doesn't matter how many people hate your brand as long as enough people love it. It's true. True. He went on to say that you can't just be middle of the road. You can't be afraid to take risks and offend people. You have to stand on something. And he believes that's why the ads were successful. And that campaign, that campaign scored the brand $163 million in earned media, along with a $6 billion brand value increase and a 31% boost in sales. So yes, people burned their Nikes, but the right people that they were caring about going after still loved the brand. I know. I honestly think though, because I remember first seeing it and I didn't, again, I'm not a huge football fan. I didn't know all the details. So I remember just seeing his face and seeing that slogan, like do what you believe in, even if it means sacrificing everything, because that resonates with me. That's Uh like very powerful. And I love that slogan for Nike. But then if you dig deeper into it, so I think a lot of people saw the surface and maybe they're not, they didn't know the true purpose. And then there's others that were like, again, pissed, like burning their Nikes, like protesting. And like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I can have opinions, but I'm never going to, like, go that far of, like, oh, I'm never using a brand. I mean, I don't think that's pretty extremist, but. Yeah, I agree with Like, that. to burn your shoes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's that Dramatic. is kind of extreme, totally. So I want to show you one more ad that kind of shows how Just Do It is still as relevant today in 2021 as it was in the 80s, you know, and how it continues. If we show emotion, we're called Dramatic. 
if we want to play against men, we're nuts. And if we dream of equal opportunity, delusional. When we stand for something, we're unhinged. It's super, it's gonna beat the cop down. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And if we get angry, we're hysterical, irrational, or just being crazy. But a woman running a marathon was crazy. Officials tried to pull her off the course. A woman boxing was crazy. A woman dunking, crazy. Coaching an NBA team, crazy. A woman competing in a hijab, changing her sport, landing a double cork 1080, or winning 23 grand slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more? Crazy, 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 and crazy. So if they want to call you crazy, fine. Show them what crazy can do. Okay, I didn't know this was going to be like an emotional day. <laughs> I, I like brought tears to my eyes. I that commercial, I, and I know we're women, so of course, and we're like powerful women who are doing things that people told us we couldn't do. That fucking sits with me. Yeah, and I have girls, and I mean, like that commercial to me is so freaking powerful. So powerful, and I mean, they still in every single commercial they're bringing just do it in, and it they don't even say it at the end. It just is on the screen, and like you feel it. So cool. It's crazy because this weekend, Christina and I were talking about Caden's bossy or whatever. And and I said, oh, gosh, my mom used to yell at me all the time and say, God, you're so bossy. Like, stop being bossy, Alexis. She goes, you know what? My sister-in-law says that to my niece all the time. And she goes, you know, I'm just questioning why you're calling her bossy when she's being a leader. Like, so stop calling her bossy and mm -hmm. call her a leader. Yeah. And I was it like, and like do you often back call— and I was like, That's true because you don't— Typically, say that to a boy. Boy, I know it's weird. You don't use the frame bossy to a boy. You're I mean, like, I do for Caden because he, because my mom used to say bossy to yeah. me, but in society, they won't say, like, oh, you're being bossy. They're like, yeah, you're being a leader. Like, you're everyone's following you. you you're commanding the room. You're commanding yeah. your team. Like, yeah. you're a leader. Like, so, I'm going to just be vulnerable here for a minute. You know, we've had some hard moments at Serendipit this past year, and I'm an emotional person. You know that. You know me for a long time. We had to get in front of our team in our huddle, and we had to announce some hard things about people who were leaving, and we were sad about it, and there were some just emotional things for me, and I cried. Yeah. Okay? So when I cry, and I don't think the people in our company feel like think this, but I think the tendency is that when women cry, they're weak, and they're just emotional, and like, oh, it's just another thing. If I was a dude CEO crying in front of my company because I was emotional— don't you think I would be like applauded? Like I was just gonna say, people would stand up and, and like slow start. clap. Yeah, it's just so different. Yeah, still in 2021, it's crazy. But and I don't think people are again just like meaning to be sexist. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just the like the way society was brought up. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's but anyways, that ad to me, I love what they're doing. All around. Like, I, that needs to be played at your next cheerleader meet or something cool. Like, it does. That's a really yeah. cool ad. So Dan Wyden did an interview with Adweek in 2009, and he said something that I really liked. He said, simplicity is really the secret of all big ideas. And it is. It is. 
So that is something that is so good to remember. For something to be memorable, repeatable, and really be powerful to all different kinds of people, it has to be simple at its core. And Dan was saying at the beginning of Just Do It, they were like, is it too simple? Is it too basic? But thank goodness they didn't question and try to make it more complicated. No, thank goodness. Because it is. It's like a motivational saying now. People just, it's bigger than Nike will ever be. It's crazy. It's way bigger. In the first 10 years of Just Do It, so from 1988 when it started to 1998, Nike increased its share of the North American domestic sports shoe business from 18% to 43%. From $877 million to $9.2 billion in worldwide sales. So today, after 35 years—oh, actually, it's almost 35 years, not quite—after Just Do It became its tagline, Nike spends a little bit more than $3 billion per year in advertising around the world, and Nike is the world's leading athletic apparel brand, doing about $42 billion in annual revenue today— and it keeps growing every year. The coolest thing is that, like I said, Just Do It is still as relevant today in 2021 as it was when it was created in the late 80s. Nothing has changed. And it's so crazy. And again, just like how much our kids are influenced by this stuff. Like my boys, like I said, love Nike. And from the beginning, they would pick the Swiss shoes and they would say, swish, swish, yeah. like when they were babies. They'd always want to wear swish. that. Yeah, and I mean, now Caden loves his favorite shirt. Is He's wearing it today. It says, just do it. Yeah. And it's, I, I do think it's powerful. Like, when they know what it means, it's like they feel, it like, is, empowered to wear that stuff. It is so powerful. I agree. So, I mean, I kind of know what you're going to say, but just do it has stuck around for almost 35 years. Lex, will it continue to stick? Oh, it sticks. Yeah. It sticks, for sure. Great episode. Thank you. Well, there were so many great sources. Um, The first thing I want everyone to do, if you have any interest in advertising and marketing, which if you're here, I kind of feel like you do, right? You should go and watch that art and copy documentary on Prime TV. Creative Review's article titled The History of Nike's Just Do It slogan was really thorough. Um, Adweek had a great article from the 25th anniversary of the Just Do It slogan by David Giannastasio. That's a great last name. Good last um, name. Marketing Week had a great article from the about the top 10 Nike Just Do It ads, and that was by Seb Joseph. And Wikipedia on the Just Do It like campaign had a great entry, of course. And that video, you have to put that up there. Oh, I'm going to put all of them. So if you good. need like a pump-up video for your girls, awesome. Yeah, agree. Well, thank you guys for listening. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And follow us wherever you listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, and have a great day. Have a great day. See you next week.